Jeremiah chapter 33 and Acts chapter 12. Tonight I want to continue. Uh, we began last week talking about prayer. And we, we uh, spoke a little bit about the three words that Jesus used in association with prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. La semana pasada hablábamos sobre la oración y tres palabras que Jesús usa para uh, hacer una asociación con la oración que son pide, busca, y llama. And so continuing along with that tonight, I want to use uh, as a subject as we study the word tonight, prayer changes things. Can you say that with me? Prayer changes things. Esta noche vamos a hablar de cómo la oración cambia las cosas. How many of you believe that? I mean, really believe it. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes circumstances. Prayer changes hearts. Prayer changes the world around us. And tonight, I want us to see just how that happens. Jeremiah chapter 33, we're really going to be focusing on Acts 12, but I want to tie that into these two portions of Scripture. I'm going to read tonight about two men who find themselves in prison. First of, my, first of all, Jeremiah found himself in prison in uh, this 32nd chapter of Jeremiah. And in chapter 33, the word of the Lord says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard, saying, Thus saith the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, Call upon me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the house and this city, concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are broken down to make defenses against the siege ramps and against the sword. While they are coming to fight with the Chaldeans, and to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain in my anger and in my wrath. And I have hidden my face from this city because of all their wickedness. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. And I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. And I will rebuild them as they were at the first. Now Acts chapter 12, another man of God who is in prison. And this is the, the apostle Peter. And the Bible says in verse 1, Now about this time, Herod the king laid hands on some of those belonging to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and the light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. 
And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued and followed. And he did not know what was being done by the angel, whether it was real, but thought he was sleeping or seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate which leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight once again for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. I pray now that you would speak to us by your word. I pray you would build our faith by the word of God. For your word says that the word of God is able to produce faith and that faith comes by hearing it. So tonight I pray that you would increase our faith and make us a people committed to prayer. I pray that this truth, that prayer changes things, would come and lodge deep within our hearts and be fertile in, this, in the soil of our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Once again, say it with me. Prayer changes things. ¿Cuántos pueden decir la oración cambia las cosas? We have two men of God in, in our uh, study tonight. Hay dos hombres de la, uh, de la palabra del Señor, hombres de Dios que tenemos en nuestro estudio esta noche. Both of them are in a similar situation. Ambos están en una situación semejante. The apostle Peter finds himself in prison because the king of uh, the region, King Herod, had found that the Jews who were against Christianity were well pleased when Christians were put in prison and especially when they were executed. So he had plans to do that to the apostle Peter. And so Peter finds himself in prison and on the same note, the, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament finds himself in prison and this time by a Jewish king because he is proclaiming the word of God and the word which he is proclaiming is not favorable to the king. The king doesn't like what he hears, so he puts Jeremiah in prison. And what I want us to see tonight is that both of these situations involve a praying believer. And both of these situations draw some, uh, there can be some uh, lessons that we can draw from these, both of these men and from both of these situations which can be useful to our life and praying effectively so that we can see the answers to our prayers. How many of you need to see some answers to your prayers? How many of you have ever seen answers to your prayers? So there are four things I want us to look at tonight in particular. The first one is this, that if we're going to see prayer change things, we need to pray in all seasons. Say that with me, pray in all seasons. Lo primero que tenemos que ver esta noche es que tenemos que orar en todas las épocas, todas las situaciones. Now we see here that both of these men have to pray in dark places. And dark seasons, although they're not our favorite, I don't think any of us are signing up for dark seasons. None of us ever come to the altar and say, Lord, give me a dark season. Uh, but we've all been through them, haven't we? A veces vienen épocas amargas y oscuras a nuestra vida. Nadie las pide, 
Nadie dice, Señor, dame una época dura y, y difícil y, y uh, oscura, sino que vienen a nuestra vida. Uh, these seasons come to our life, and if they're going to be anything, a dark season in your life can produce a lot of good things if you are walking after the Spirit. Si usted va caminando después del Espíritu, detrás del Espíritu, usted puede ver que en, aún en los momentos amargos y difíciles de nuestra vida, que Dios puede producir grandes cosas en nuestra vida. But I, I assure you, one of the greatest things that comes out of dark seasons is a prayer life. Una de las cosas más grandes que sale de momentos oscuros en nuestra vida es una vida de oración. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that we didn't need dark seasons to pray. And when you have a consistent devotional life with God, you don't need dark seasons to pray. But even when you are a prayer man or a prayer woman, dark seasons will make you pray more. Dark seasons create in us a need to hear from God. Los momentos de oscuridad en nuestra vida producen en nosotros una vida de oración porque esa, uh, esa vida de oración es provocada por las situaciones a nuestro alrededor. And so if you're not in a dark season today, I want to encourage you to pray. And if you are in a dark season today, I don't have to encourage you to pray because I know you're going to pray. Say amen, somebody. Si usted no está en una época difícil de su vida, yo le animo a orar. Y si está en una época difícil, sus circunstancias le van a animar a orar. And I just want to encourage you that God allows us to go through these dark seasons, but he doesn't leave us alone in those seasons. In fact, for Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah, call upon me, pray to me, seek me. Para Jeremías le dijo a Jeremías, búscame. Ponte a orar, busca mi rostro. En este momento de dificultad, en este momento de... de um, Tristeza en tu vida, busca me. He says to Jeremiah, call upon me, even in this dark season, maybe especially in this dark season. Why? Because there's a promise that God has for dark places. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Uh, hay una promesa que Dios ha dado a los lugares oscuros de nuestra vida. Se encuentra en Isaías capítulo 45, verso 3. Uh, Isaiah, I should say, Isaiah 45, verse 3. God says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Dice Isaías 45, verso 3. Yo te daré los tesoros de lugares oscuros o lugares uh, difíciles. What is God saying there? He's given us a promise. He said there are treasures to be found in the dark places of our life. There are treasures to be found in difficulties that you and I incur, uh, encounter and press through in our Christian life. And so there are a lot of things you can't gain, you can't obtain outside of some pressing. Hay muchas cosas que usted y yo no podemos obtener si no pasamos por esos momentos difíciles. I shared with you on uh, Sunday night how the Lord provided some exemptions for the nation of Israel when they went to war. There were four exemptions people could take in order to get out of being in battle. But I also told you that when you took those exemptions, 
you are also going to be denied the taste of victory. And that is the reality that you and I have to deal with tonight. We can say, Lord, don't let me go through hard times. We can say, Lord, why me? Why this? Why now? Or we can say, Lord, if there is a season like this in my life, let me find the treasure in it. Let me find the joy in it, the grace in it, the victory in it, the peace in it, because you promised it to me. And so Jeremiah and Peter are in the same situation. They have to decide. I'm in a dark season. I'm in a dark prison cell. I'm in a low place. But God has a treasure for me in this place. God has something that he wants to reveal to me. And if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6, God tells Jeremiah what he's going to do as a result of this season. Dios le dice a Jeremías en el capítulo 33 y el verso 6 lo que él va a hacer a través de esta época en su vida. First of all, in verse 5, he says, I'm going to give you the defeat of your enemies. En el verso 5, le dice que él le va a dar la, la derrota de sus enemigos. Say amen, somebody. Because you all, you, we all need the defeat of our enemies. And God says, when you go through a dark season and you call upon me in the midst of trouble, I will give you the defeat of your enemies. Dios dice, cuando usted me busca en medio de un momento difícil, yo le voy a dar la derrota de sus enemigos. Then he says, and I will give you a revelation. A revelation of what? A revelation of abundance and a revelation of healing. Luego dice, cuando usted me busca en un momento difícil, le voy a dar revelación. Revelación de qué? De abundancia y de sanidad. Listen, God has a revelation for you tonight. What is a revelation, preacher? What is a revelation, pastor? ¿Qué es una revelación? A revelation is when God tells you something that you could not know on your own. Revelación es cuando Dios te dice algo que usted no puede saber de sí mismo. A revelation is something that your circumstances are not telling you. It's something that the world around you is not able to tell you. Una revelación es algo que usted no puede discernir por sus circunstancias. But God says when you pray in dark places, I'll give you revelation. Now, I think this is why he takes us to dark places. Yo creo que es por eso que él nos lleva a lugares oscuros. Because generally, dark places are quiet places. Normalmente, los lugares oscuros son lugares callados, silencios. And many times, it's hard for us to get revelation when everybody is talking. It's hard to get revelation at a birthday party. Between passing me the cake and singing happy birthday and opening gifts and all the oohs and ahs and saying hello and goodbye, it's very hard to get revelation. But when you're on your own and nobody's calling and nobody's texting and nobody is, is looking your way and you're in a dark place, God has your undivided full attention. And revelation can come. Because you get quiet before him and say, Lord, I don't get it. What's going on here? I've been serving you. I've been obeying you. I've been going to church. I've been tithing. I've been praying. And sometimes he lets us go to a place where it's just his voice and us. And what does he reveal? 
he says to Jeremiah, I am going to reveal to you abundance. What does that mean? God says, I have more than you think I have. And I have more for you than you think you need or that you can handle. Dios dice, le voy a revelar primero abundancia. Nuestro Dios es un Dios de abundancia. I don't know if you know this or not, but our God is a God of abundance. Listen, our God's not on welfare. He doesn't need a check, a government check. Come on, it's getting quiet now. Our God is not in financial trouble. He does not, he does not quake when the stock market drops. It doesn't matter to him whether the, the economies of the world are strong or not. God is financially solvent. Abundance is all his, and it belongs to you and I as an inheritance. And he says, when you're going through this dark place, I'm going to reveal my abundance to you. And just let me ask you to testify for a minute. How many of you know that you have experienced God's abundance in the dark places of your life? When you looked around and you couldn't see anything, and then God just showed up and manifested his glory, his provision, his abundance on your life. And then he says, not only that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you not only an abundance, but I'm going to show you healing. I'm going to reveal healing to you. Say amen, somebody. Because he wants us to walk in wholeness, a, a whole spirit, a whole body, a whole mind. Él también dice, te voy a revelar la, uh, la sanidad, la salud. Te voy a revelar la salud. Te voy a dar salud interna, salud espiritual, salud física, salud emocional, salud en tu mente. Para que ya no tengas eh, escasez de salud, sino camines en salud. How many of you need some health in your life? Then prayer changes things. When you start saying, Lord, teach me. How to walk in this abundance. How to walk in health. He will show you these things as you go through these seasons of your life. So listen, when you get into a dark place, stop complaining. Stop gossiping. Stop blaming. Start praying. Why? Because prayer changes And the thing that needs to be changed most is me. Say amen, somebody. I got about 20% amens right there. Yes, pastor needs, needs to be changed, but I'm good, Lord. No, we're the one that needs to be changed. And when we start to pray, prayer changes us. You see, prayer's not about getting God on my team. It's about getting me on God's team. La oración, lo primero que cambia es a mí. Nos cambia a nosotros. Y cambia nuestra perspectiva, cambia nuestra manera de pensar. It changes our perspective. And so, um, if you don't believe me, you ought to try it. Next time you get worked up about something, next time you're worked up about your, uh, your job or worked up about your finances or worked up about your family, just find a quiet place and go talk to God about it for a little bit and just watch what his presence will do in your life. It will change your perspective. It'll change the way you think. It'll even change the way you speak. This is, this is a lesson that every believer needs to learn and walk in. Because as long as you are talking to everybody but God, that problem is there. 
But the moment you come to God, he starts to change you. That's why the old, uh, the old spiritual says, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, not my mother, not my father, not my dog. It's me, Lord. I'm the one that needs change. And when the Holy Spirit begins to speak, you look around you, the, the mountain's still there, the giant's still there, the problem is still there, but you feel differently about it. Because he's changed your perspective. He's given you revelation. And then in verse 8 he says, and I will cleanse you from your iniquity. So not only does he reveal abundance and not only does he reveal health, but he also reveals forgiveness. God says, I'll bring forgiveness when you seek me in dark places. When you bring to me your darkness, your brokenness, your shame, your guilt, I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I'll make you new. And so this is the, the first thing I want us to see tonight is that we need to pray in every season, especially dark seasons. And God has a special thing, a special promise for those dark seasons. Now the second thing we see, if you go back to Acts, Acts chapter 12, we see there that the Bible said Peter was put in, in prison. Herod was planning to kill him. Now, the Bible uses some, some terms sometimes that make me kind of chuckle because it, earlier in the chapter, it says that, uh, in chapter 12, it says that Herod laid hands on some of the believers, in, in verse 1, in order to mistreat them. But then, when we read about Peter, it talks about Peter, was, he was planning to do the same thing to Peter that he had done to James. So, he's not just going to mistreat him, he wants to kill him. And... Peter finds himself in that predicament. He finds himself in prison. So it says in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but... Say that word with me, but. That word but is a conjunction. It changes the direction of the sentence. Dice que Pedro estaba en la cárcel, Hechos 12, 5, pero. Y esa palabra pero cambia la dirección de una... Uh, de una oración. So what is it saying? It's saying Peter was in trouble, but, but what? What does the text say? But what? Prayer. Say, but prayer. You see, whatever the first part of the sentence is, you don't have to worry about if you have a but prayer. Come on, somebody. Because prayer changes things. If the first part of the sentence says that you were diagnosed with a disease, comma, but prayer. That's how you need to write your sentences, all right? I have a financial challenge, comma, but prayer. Why? Because as long as I can pray, there's a hope for a change in your life or in my life. No importa qué sea la primera parte de la oración. Si usted puede decir, pero la oración, usted tiene esperanza. And there you have Peter in prison. It says, but prayer, um, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. So here's the second thing I want you to notice about prayer. Is that this prayer was being made to God. It was being made in a dark season, but it was prayer to God. Aquí vemos la segunda cosa de la oración, que esta oración era hecha hacia Dios. This was not 
just routine prayer, but it was to God. Now, this might seem simple to you, and I hope it really does uh, seem simple to you, that we pray to God. But I just want to pause here for a moment to reflect on the fact that not everybody prays to God. And if, if, I, if I really stop to, to explain that to you, you'll discover that a lot of people are praying to a God, but they're not praying to the God of the Bible. And so when we read here that they were praying to God, we understand they're praying to the Lord, to the God of the Bible, the, the God revealed in Scripture. But listen, there are some who pray to gods that have, that have no place in the Bible. And a lot of people have created an image of God in their own mind that is not the God of the Bible. And you, you and I have to know there is a difference between uh, just a little g God and the God of the Bible. Hay una diferencia cuando alguien dice yo oro a Dios y, y no saben al cual, a quién están orando y cuando oran al Dios de la Biblia. Because there's a God of this world, the Bible says. Hay un Dios de este mundo. And there are gods that demand or, or require the attention and the idolatry of men. But the God of the Bible is a specific God. He's a unique God. He reveals himself to Jeremiah. He says the same thing to Jeremiah that we see here. He says, call upon me. And I will answer. And in the previous verse, he said to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth, who formed it and established it. What, is, what do we see there? That our prayers are directed at a specific person. And those prayers are directed at the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures. They are, they are directed at the God who tells us to pray in the name of his son, Jesus. Amen, somebody. As Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. In Psalm 91, verse 15, it says, When you call out to me, I will answer, and I will be with you in trouble, and I will deliver you. Deuteronomy 7, pardon, Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. It says, What great nation is there who has a God so near to it? As the Lord God who is in the host of Israel. Listen, God is specifically saying when you pray, I want you to pray to me. I don't want you to pray to your lucky stars. I don't want you to pray to chance. I don't want you to pray to your fortune. I don't want you to pray to uh, a horoscope. I want you to pray to me. You're not talking to a force. You're not talking to a wind. You're not talking to a bird. You're talking to the Lord God of heaven, the creator of all things, the one who is able to hear you. Why? Because the Bible says that the gods of this world have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. They have a mouth but cannot utter a sound. They have arms but they can't embrace you. They have feet but they cannot walk to you. But our God, listen now, he has eyes and he can see. He has ears, he can hear. He has hands, he can embrace you. Come on somebody. He has a mouth and he has spoken. And so there's a difference when you pray to just any God, to whatever's out there. He's not, he's not the, 
the old man upstairs. He's the particular, unique person revealed in the scriptures. And you and I can have relationship with him. They prayed to the Lord. They prayed to God. And Jesus taught us to pray like this. He said, when you talk to the Father, you speak to him in my name. He said, before now, you've never asked for anything in my name. But when you go to the Father, pray in my name, and whatever you ask in my name, according to his will, will be given unto you. Cuando usted ora, Jesús nos dijo, cuando usted ora a Dios, debe orar en el nombre de Jesús. ¿Por qué? Porque ahora, dijo, antes nunca oraron en mi nombre, pero desde este momento en adelante, el que ore en mi nombre, al Padre, será escuchado. Listen, when you pray in the name of a general idea of God, you leave out Jesus. It's like sending a letter without a stamp. Got no power. It may be the best letter ever written, but it's not going anywhere. When you pray in the name of Jesus, that prayer has power before God. That prayer has authority before God. Now the next thing we see is there in verse 5, it says, But prayer for him was being made fervently. Somebody say fervently. We see now that our prayers can change things, but our prayers have to be made in every season. Our prayers need to be made to God, and they need to be fervent prayers. Really, what the word fervently means is that we pray without ceasing. Ahí dice que sus oraciones eran fervientes. Eso significa que nuestras oraciones no terminan. How many of you have ever asked someone to pray for lunch and they prayed without ceasing? And your food got cold. That's not what this verse means, all right? It doesn't mean that we pray necessarily long time, or, but all the time. That we live a, a life of continual prayer before God. It's another meaning of the word fervent. To pray without ceasing to stretch out prayer, to extend it, to be intense in prayer. It is a continual prayer. La oración ferviente es primero una oración continua. We begin our day with prayer, we go through our day with prayer, and we end our day with prayer. Comenzamos el día en la oración, pasamos todo el día en la oración, y terminamos el día en la oración. So that somebody says to you, what did you say? I said, no, nothing, I was just praying. All the time, talking to God. Siempre orando. Siempre diciendo, Señor, ¿qué, qué quieres que yo haga en esta situación? And that, that lifestyle of prayer was cultivated by Jesus. Ese estilo de oración es algo que fue cultivado y enseñado por Jesús. Jesus, the Bible says, often, over throughout the Gospels, you'll hear him say, and Jesus withdrew to pray. And Jesus withdrew to pray. And Jesus withdrew to pray. And then at random moments you'll hear it say, and Jesus said, Father. And he would talk to God just in the middle of, no, of, of nowhere. And you think, oh, what was this about? Jesus is the son of God. Uh, of course he has communion with God. But if Jesus needed to pray, then you and I have to pray. Because prayer changes things. 
continual, fervent prayer. The church was in prayer. James chapter 5, verse 15, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed, because the effective prayer of the righteous can accomplish much. Dice uh, Santiago 5, verso 16, que la oración eficaz del justo puede mucho. Now, what does this word mean? Effective prayer. Literally, it means the working prayer of the righteous. Uh, esa palabra, uh, oración efectiva, uh, significa la oración que trabaja. Una oración trabajadora del justo. Well, we need to explore that a little bit because if you look at the book of James, James talks about uniting our faith with our works. And so what James is saying here is that when you pray, you also need to add some action to your prayers. Now, that doesn't mean that, that you do like I do when I pray. I, I pace up and down usually. Um, that's not what James is talking about. He's saying when you pray, and for example, if you're asking God for a job, you say, Lord, I need a job this week. That means Monday morning, you get up, you get dressed, and you still apart, uh, start applying for jobs. That's what that means. And then you pray as you go. So you go and you say, Lord, I'm about to go into this interview. I ask you to give me favor. Help me to say the right things and give them the right answer. And then if, if uh, they say, well, we'll call you back, you go to the next place. You say, all right, Lord, here I go to the next place. Make sure I get the right job with the right pay with a good boss. Somebody understands I need to be in church on Sunday. And you just go. You go, through, you go through the day working your prayer. You see, if you need a job, and then on Monday morning you sit on your porch and say, all right, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. It's not a working prayer. Say amen, somebody. So if I say, Lord, I want to walk in health, then I need to pray and walk toward health. If I say, Lord, I want a better relationship with the people around me, then I have to work that prayer and start walking in the direction of what I am praying for. And he says that kind of prayer is very effective. The effectual working prayer of the righteous availeth much. It is an overpowering prayer. La oración trabajadora del justo puede mucho. ¿Cuántos quieren poder mucho? How many of you want to be able to do a lot? Well, the, this kind of prayer does that. That was the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 12. But we also see it throughout the Old Testament. Look at the intensity of Abraham's prayer. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the iniquity there, Abraham goes to prayer. Cuando Dios le dice a Abraham, yo voy a destruir a Sodoma y a Gomorra, ¿qué hace Abraham? Él comienza a orar. He says, Lord, if you can find 50 righteous in that city, will you spare it? Lord said, yes. Abraham thought about it some more. He said, all right, Lord, if you can find 40 righteous in that city, will you spare it? Lord said, yes. And he just kept coming back. He said, Lord, if you can find 10 righteous in that city, Will you spare it? Lord said yes. The problem right there is Abraham stopped. Because I believe if he had gone and said, Lord, if you can find one righteous in that city, will you spare it? The Lord would have said yes. Because they had at least lot. What did he do? 
He was in a moment that was a dark moment for Sodom and Gomorrah, and he started to pray, and he started to pray fervently, effectively, continually. I got an answer, but I might get a better one. I got an answer. I got a miracle, but I need another one. I've got to keep praying. You knock, and you keep knocking. You ask, and you keep asking. You seek, and you keep seeking. Come on, somebody. God's going to come through as you continue, as you work in continual fervent prayer. We see this also in the life of the patriarch Jacob. Jacob had left the, the promised land for 21 years. Jacob había salido de la tierra prometida por 21 años. And on the way back in, cuando él va a cruzar de nuevo a la tierra prometida, he gets into a struggle with an angel. Él se uh, encuentra en una, en una lucha con un ángel. Now, really, the reason the struggle was there was because the Lord didn't want him coming back in the promised land like his old self. He wanted a new Jacob coming into the promised land. Aren't you glad God will stop you to make sure he can change you? That's what happened to Jacob. And there was a struggle going on all night long, another dark season. That 21 years was a dark season for Jacob. And in that dark season... At, at that night, he struggled with the angel, and the Bible said that he told the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me is the description of a fervent prayer. Una oración ferviente es la oración que dice, no te dejo hasta que me bendigas. You've got to bless me. You've got to do something about this situation. You've got to change this thing in my life. And eventually, as you discover or you, you read through that story, you find that Jacob was struggling with making a confession to God about who he was. And the moment he made that confession, God blessed him and he gave him a new name and a new identity and a new promise because he had a fervent prayer. A consistent, continual prayer before God. You see also Moses in the books of the law. The Bible said that Moses, uh, the children of Israel, went to war. And Moses went up to the mountain. And, and as long as his hands were up, the children of Israel won the battle. But when his hands came down, they were defeated. And when his hands were up, there was victory. But when his hands were down, they were defeated. Listen, when you're praying, you're winning. Say amen, somebody. If you're praying, you're winning. Put that in your spirit. If I'm praying, I'm winning. But when you stop praying, you're losing. That's why you've got to be in continual prayer. And Aaron and Ur saw this pattern. They saw that when Moses had his hands up, that the people were winning. But when Moses got tired and he put his hands down, the people began to be defeated. And so they came alongside of him and they held up his arms. Aaron and Ur came and they held up Moses' arms so that he could pray continually. What does that mean? That means that you and I not only need to pray alone, but we need some other people to pray with us. Fervently believing God to give us the victory. We see it also with Joshua. Look at Joshua's prayer. He says, Lord, let the sun stand still in Gibeon. This was no... Small courtesy prayer. This was a make it or break it prayer. 
And, and when he made that prayer, God literally held up the whole mechanism of the cosmos to give Joshua the answer to his prayer. We read about it when David prayed. He prayed that God would hold back the plagues and they were stopped. And then James uses the example of Elijah. He says, the effectual fervent, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. For Elijah was a man of like passions just as we are. He tells us, but Elijah was a man of prayer. Elijah was a man who went after God intently for the answer to those things that he sought. And the scripture gives us a picture of Elijah's posture. That when Elijah was praying that God would send rain after it hadn't rained for three and a half years, that he got on his knees and his head was between his knees. And he called a servant and he said, go to the top of the mountain and check if there's any rain coming. They didn't have the weather channel. And so his servant went up the mountain, came back, he said, nothing. Elijah said, go back, check again. Came back, said nothing. He said, go back, check again. And while he's going up, you can imagine how worn out this poor servant was. Uh, when he's running back up that mountain, Elijah's got his head between his knees, praying. Lord, I believe this is what Elijah's prayer was. Lord, you said in Deuteronomy that if your people would turn back to you, you would open the heavens. You said you would open the storehouse of the heavens and send the rain. And the servant came back and said, Nothing yet. All right, go back again. Check again. And he said, Lord, I believe your word. You said in Deuteronomy that if your people would repent, you would open the storehouse of the heavens and you would send the rain in its season. And the servant came back seven times. He went up. And on the seventh time, he came back. He said, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's a little cloud, Elijah. Very small cloud. He said, all right. Now run and tell the king, <laughs> run some more and go tell the king to get up and go. Because if he doesn't hurry up, his chariot's going to get stuck in the rain. What rain? You got a little cloud, a worn out servant, and a man who believes in fervent prayer. And what did God do? He opened the good storehouse of the heaven. And send down a torrential rain. Because there was a man who said, I'm not going to quit until God blesses me. Until God does what he promised to us. Listen, God's people in Acts 12, they did that. They said, we need our pastor. We need Peter. We don't need him to be a memory. We need him to be here. And they began to pray, and they began to pray. And that leads us to the fourth thing about this was that they prayed together. They prayed in unity. Ahora vemos la cuarta cosa aquí, que ellos oraron juntos. Era una oración unida. Prayer changes things, church. And when you and I pray in unity, we're praying in power. Cuando usted y yo oramos en unidad, estamos orando en poder. So I, I hope every, everyone in here has a prayer team. That's the group of people that you call when you need prayer. Not the people that know how to gossip, that have the latest and the greatest 
information. I mean people who know how to talk to God. I don't mean people that say, I'm praying for you, and they don't pray at all. I mean people that you know, that you know, talk to God. And when you unite in prayer, this is what Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in their midst, and whatever they ask, it will be given unto them. Unity is power. That's why the enemy wants to divide your marriage. Because when you pray together, you're powerful. That's why the enemy wants to divide your family. Because when you divide, when you pray together, you're powerful. You are a threat to the dominion of darkness. That's why he wants to divide churches. Because when we come together, we are powerful. Listen, what an incredible power is this, that a church comes together in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you do that, I will be in the prayer meeting. I will show up. He said, call upon me. I will answer. I'll show up. I'll be present. And I'll show you the things you don't know and can't do of yourself. And the scripture says that while they're praying in this fervent, intense seeking of the invasion of God's will on their behalf, they have this confidence God can change this thing. Now, we don't really know what they're praying for. They might have been praying that the Lord would change the heart of the king. They might have been praying that the Lord would um, make, the, make the Jews change their mind about Christians. I don't know what all they were praying for, but this is the answer they got. The Bible said that an angel came out of heaven and came into the prison cell where Peter was. Now, someone has said that it was the angel who brought Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that brought the angel out of heaven. That angel came into the prison cell. And notice this, there are 16 people, 16 Roman soldiers guarding Pastor Peter. That's a dangerous pastor right there. 16 Roman soldiers are guarding Pastor Peter. And what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. And while he's sleeping, the church is praying, and the angel comes in, and he stirs him up. He says, Peter, wake up. And Peter doesn't know if he's seeing a vision or, or a dream or what. The chains fall off. And they go through the first set of guards, the second set of guards, and then they get up to an iron gate. And the Bible said the gate opened by itself. I told you, prayer changes things. The gate opened by itself. And they walked out, and the angel left Peter by himself. And Peter's looking around, and he's, whoa, this is for real. So he goes to the house where the believers are, and he knocks on the door, and a little girl named Rhoda comes to the door, and she says, oh, it's Peter, and she doesn't open the door. She just gets so excited. She leaves him standing outside and runs and tells everybody, Pastor Peter's out. And they said, it's impossible. How could this be? This was what they were praying for. And Finally, in the midst of commotion, they come and they let Peter in. And you can imagine the joy 
and fill that house. Because Peter had to tell him to calm down, get quiet. We're all going to be in prison if you don't be quiet. Because of a church that said, we won't let you go until you bless us. I wonder tonight if there is anybody here that has that kind of commitment to say, God, we won't let you go until you bless Beeville, until you bless our city, until you bless our families, until you bless us. We are believing that you are able to change things. This is why prayer changes things, guys, because the God that we pray to is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about a little deity that's, that's hoping to be able to help you. He says, call upon me, and I will. I will. I'll answer you, and I'll show up in your life. I'll manifest myself to you. Él dice, clama a mí y yo te responderé. Yo voy a mostrar mi poder a tu favor. So tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Is that all right? Esta noche vamos a tener una, una uh, oración unida. So I want you to stand up with me. And I want you to find three or four people around you that you can pray with. And I want you to share briefly some of your needs, your concerns, things that you need prayer about, and I want you to go before God in faith. Come on, find somebody to pray with tonight. Let's believe that God is able to do these things. Come on, just share with one another. Just one word. Say, I need help in my marriage, my finances, with my children. And then go to God in prayer. Because nothing shall be impossible to those that believe.